Crikey. Welcome back to the McCarter Gets High podcast, your source for all things plant-based medicine, including fungi. I am your host, McCarter. I'm so happy you're here. Today, you will hear from Cecilia May Thorne, who was the first cannabis wholesale broker in the state of Colorado. You might be wondering what that means. It basically means she was the first person to legally sell pounds and pounds of cannabis from growers to dispensaries. In our conversation, we discussed the importance of proper cannabis packaging and operating a successful business in an ever-changing federally illegal industry. If you're looking for a new CBD product, you need to check out Vermont Pure CBD. They grow all of their own hemp sustainably and on certified organic land, and they offer a wide variety of products for all preferences. I love their full spectrum infused honey. I seriously put it in my tea every single morning. Go to vermontpurecbd.com to find the best product for you and use my code McCarterGetsHigh for 15% off final purchase. I didn't really mean to get into the industry. I was pretty aggressively trying to be a writer. And I was like on Craigslist every day. I, I know that life. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then one of them, it's an ad in the writing section. And it turns out to be, it says it's like, we need content for a website for an herbal store. The herbal store, it turns out to be code. This is 2009. So there are still like dispensaries were, <laughs> dispensaries were like blowing up. I'm in the dispensary for a year. Fascinating experience. Dispensaries were super different back then. But at I'm the end sure. of the year, oh my God, it was crazy. Like edibles, like can you imagine if edibles were never labeled? Like we didn't even know about milligrams. So, Oh my God. People, people just brought in like, oh, I made this carrot cake at my house. Would you like to sell it? And we were like, well, we'd have to try it. You know, we're ethical, responsible. <laughs> oh tenders. So we would eat it. So this happened like every day we had to test an edible. You are and, <laughs> and we would get so high. So I'm like holding on to the cash register. Like, what did, what did you want? <laughs> oh my God. So I was high for a year straight. So I would go, I would go to bed high. I would wake up still high, go back and to then work, get more high, <laughs> do the whole process over again. I cannot so, believe people brought in a fucking carrot cake. That they oh, there was everything. There was pasta sauce. There was chai. <laughs> Everyone wanted to have like the new niche. Oh you know? my god, you're blowing my mind. Wait, this is in Denver. This is in Boulder, and so there were no requirements. This it wasn't even Boulder. like you have to make it in a commercial kitchen. You didn't have to label it with anything. Oh. They'd just be like a rice krispie treat in saran wrap, and then you're just like. Hope everyone knows this has weed in it. And yeah, <laughs> break room was a dangerous place because oh. you might be like, oh, I love a pizza banana bread. Oh, oh, okay. I just ate like 200 milligrams, but we didn't say milligrams, but Oh you know. my gosh. That's crazy <laughs> yeah. that there was no dosages. Nothing. Yeah. It was, it was a trip. <sighs> so then how did you go from this okay. dispensary to- Sorry. Thanks for keeping <laughs> us on track. <laughs> To having the first license in Colorado. Okay, so I started this business. It was like a really, a really questionable gray area at first. People just weren't really sure if it was legal. But I had read the laws um, about brokering 
pounds between dispensaries because it was a thing that was happening. I mean, not so much the brokering, but there was something called the 70-30 rule that said that every, so also at the same time there was vertical integration laws. So everyone who owned a dispensary had to also own a grow and vice versa. You couldn't like just own a grow. Oh, okay. And then the 70-30 rule was that you had to grow 70% of what you sold in your dispensary. And then there was this 30% that you could get from another grow. And so that's where I came in because I started talking to people at different dispensaries and being like, oh, do you want to buy a pound from these guys? They have great weed for this price, which was really high back then compared to where it is today. Yeah. What were the prices like? Can you share a little bit? When I started, it was like $3,000 a pound. Wow. That was short-lived. That was like right in the very beginning of when I started. And then, and you know, this whole time, each time the price dropped, it was like mayhem for growers. Like, oh my God, now it's 2500 a pound, which now sounds like a pipe dream in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> so every time I was like, oh, the industry's crashing and burning. And then some people would survive. And Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So I should stay on track. Yes, 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 yes. We <laughs> so gotta... to get to the license. Wait, so you started um, when you're working at this dispensary, then you started well, talking to other people? they were my first people? client. That's kind of like how it started. Um, I like met people working at other dispensaries and people who are like kind of thinking about brokering, but they wouldn't call it brokering because they weren't sure if that was legal. They were like, oh, it's an information service. We can't actually bring the pounds to people. We can tell them about it. Uh, but I was looking at the law and I was like, I don't think that's true. I think you can do this. Plus, I mean, the whole thing is so unregulated. Like, no one knows anything. Everything's like both legal and illegal. I mean, it's all federally illegal. So yeah. everything was kind of both and neither. Wow. And so, yeah, so I started with, so my first client was Helping Hands Herbals here in Boulder. I love, they were my first dispensary that I ever shopped. They're oh amazing. my gosh, this is amazing. They're so, great. so that was where I had been a bud tender. So Shut I love them. Up. Yeah. So they were my oh first my client. Gosh. They're like, okay, you can take this pound to Denver. <laughs> Come back with money. Oh my gosh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that was so like yes, yeah, they have pound. their own organic cultivation yes. as well. Yeah, and they, they do use a great like job. Living soil and they do a really good job. So yeah, so it started with just one pound, and I came back and gave them the money, made a hundred bucks, and was like, wow, that was pretty easy. And then so then I just started like expanding. I was trying to keep my clients in Boulder, and it was mostly Denver dispensaries that were buying. So that way I could drive around Boulder, pick up pounds from all these dispensaries, drive to Denver figure out how to sell them. There was a lot of paperwork involved, but it was like just, it wasn't metric didn't exist yet. So there oh. wasn't a seed to sale tracking system. There was no cloud-based software. It was just like, I had a stack of papers next to me in the passenger seat in case I got pulled over. And yeah. Oh my God. So then, <laughs> so I'm doing this when the requirement Wait, did you have passed. like an LLC or anything? You're just doing this? a sole proprietorship. Okay. Yeah. So then- while this is happening, the law goes into effect that says everyone in the industry needs to have a badge from the MED, the Marijuana yes. Enforcement Division. So I go to get my badge and <laughs> I have this crazy thought, like, what if I just tell them the truth about what I'm doing and see what they say I need to get for a badge? And I did. And I was like, okay, so I, what kind of badge do I need? I drive around with pounds all the time that aren't really mine. And they were like, oh, well, no one else is doing that. But you know what? We'll give you a key badge and we'll put you on this list of approved vendors, which were all like the, the approved vendor list was like um, different 
ancillary businesses that did like, oh, we install security cameras. We do stuff like this in grills yeah. and dispensaries. Mm-hmm. And so then I was the first person who was, and for a while, the only one who was added as a wholesale broker and just allowed to drive around with pounds. And so I got a little oh, piece of paper and a my, badge with my photo. This is so nice. <laughs> Very official. Yeah. And I was pretty stoked. So, so what year was that then that you got that, that official? was 2012. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then um, no one else was really able to do it because then they issued a position statement that said brokering. Well, it was really vague. I had a lawyer look at it and they're like, it basically means nothing. But people thought that brokering was illegal, but I already had this license yeah. and this badge. So, wow. Um, yeah. Then I was the only person doing it for like a year or two. And it was awesome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great couple of years. Wow. Yeah. And then other people started doing it too, but I had already, you know, made all these connections from just driving around in Denver. I mean, dispensaries were so concentrated for a while when they were all like really small businesses before they kind of consolidated and got more corporate. Mm -hmm. So I would be be in Denver and I would just type like dispensary into my phone and be like, oh, there's three right around me. I'll go to this one and just show up with like a trash bag full of weed and some paperwork. Do you want to buy this? Hey, (laughs) what do you think? Oh my gosh, this is nuts. It was pretty fun. Okay, so then how did, like, tell me how the transition happened. If, like, more people started to get into it, when did you decide to get out of it? Or So, yeah, so for a while it was, like, I was the only person doing it. It was really great. And then it wasn't so much that other people were getting into it. It was that the industry itself was changing so much. Because, yeah. I mean, I had, like, learned everything that I knew about business from from running this business in the early stages of the industry, which was what I didn't realize at the time was like, I was learning the old school principles of running a business when things were, it was like the principles of small business before it got influenced by big money, venture capital, really deep pocketed investors. Mm -hmm. So when things started changing is when like the smaller dispensaries and grows were kind of getting swallowed up by bigger and more corporate and more well-funded ones. They were just buying everything up. And they were also able to put a lot of smaller businesses out of business because they could just produce so efficiently in these massive warehouses. And then they could sell pounds for really, really cheap. And the smaller guys just couldn't compete. Yeah. And so people just started folding or selling their business. And so a lot of my clients kind of got pushed out of the industry. What I came to realize is that some of them didn't even really need to turn a profit on the pounds they were selling because they had so much investment money that they were prepared to weather huge losses for their first few years in the hopes of pushing other people out of business. Yeah. And then taking over a large share and of the market. And that's what they did. That's what they did. So yeah, so wow. there were all these huge companies, there was less opportunities to like hustle pounds between dispensaries because they were just fewer of them. Yeah. But also all of this intense competition was driving the price of pounds down and it kept getting lower and lower, you know, oh, now it's 1,600 a pound, everyone freaks out, now it's 1,400 a pound. Mm -hmm. And so all these growers are kind of like freaking out about that. And they were a lot less inclined to want to pay a broker $100 a pound compared Mm -hmm. to when they were getting two grand a pound or more. So that was another thing. Yeah. And also, you saw the need like going yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. And the just getting so competitive, um, it just changed so much. And also, I had changed. I mean, well, I don't know if I changed, but I, 
I never really wanted to be a businesswoman. It just kind of like happened and then it wow. escalated. And I was like, wait a minute, I wanted to be a writer. And then yeah, you're things- like, what happened to writing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things took a turn somewhere. After like four years or so, I started to want to get out. And then there were some some ways that I thought I could still be in the industry. Like there was... <laughs> There was a tech company that wanted to disrupt wholesale brokering. And um, I considered, well, I did work with them for a while. And again, it was kind of that same pattern of like larger, more well-funded companies coming in, but they didn't really know the industry. So yeah, they're kind of weird. We um, see that a lot yeah. still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still so the pattern. Right. <laughs> yeah. So then eventually I was like, man, I really wanted to be a writer. And about three years ago, it was like, I bought my house, so I was like super grateful for all the years in the industry and everything that happened, and it was just time to figure out how to be a writer. Can you tell me a little bit how your like love or affinity for cannabis and hemp has changed over the years? Totally. Yeah, I love talking about that because I feel like people who don't um, get to use cannabis that much don't realize how much your relationship with this plant can evolve over the years, yes. and I'm sure— Totally. You no, know, but um, yeah. So like when I first wanted to be a stoner <laughs> and was so committed Full to that circle. goal. Yep. <laughs> so back then, you know, you get these like media stereotypes of what a stoner is. And I feel like the way society portrayed this when I was young in the 2000s was that stoners were like out of it. And, you know, they're kind of in this haze, like dazed and yes. confused. And so, Love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> One. <laughs> exactly. But I kind of thought, like, that's how everyone used cannabis was to, like, just kind of be in this fuzzy just space. Just escape, yeah. Right, which sounded good to me because, honestly, even though I didn't have the vocabulary to, like, talk about mental health then, I knew that being in my head was, like, not a great place to be and I wanted to change it. Yes. And so, like, first I tried alcohol, which didn't work out so well as it often doesn't for people (laughs) and then when I managed to start getting stoned and I realized like that moment in Montana when I was looking at those snowflakes and got hit with this big realization about how not everyone had to be the same I realized that maybe I could use cannabis differently I could use it in a kind of the opposite way that society had portrayed it instead of being out of it I could be more in my life I could use it to like look more closely at stuff Mm -hmm. and feel more be more present exactly yep you know yep so I feel like that was like my first big transition with how I was using cannabis um yes yeah and I I think you know there's still a lot of people who don't who don't feel like they can use it that way or kind of still influenced by the way the media portrays it Mm -hmm. as like oh you get all fuzzy headed and which sure you could do that if you want and that's I'm sure that has its benefits there are hazy strains (laughs) if you will exactly you can get as hazy as you want and no one is judging you (laughs) but if you want to try and use it to like look more deeply at your life and who you want to be I feel like, you know, there are ways you could do that. Like some people look down on smoking pot alone, but I think it's great a great way to spend time with yourself. Um, Me too. Yeah. Always. Right? <laughs> do some yoga, smoke some weed. Yes. Read a book, write in your journal. Mm-hmm. I feel like that can kind of help with that transition to using pot. I totally agree. What do you see as the future of the cannabis industry in either Colorado or the country? 
Gosh, well, I feel like there's two ways I could answer this. And one would be optimistic and one would be, I mean. Let's hear it. Can you tell us both ways? I mean, okay, there's some optimism in both because even if the cannabis industry becomes really, really corporate and say that there's like interstate Like corporate tobacco. Yeah, and there's huge, huge corporations dominating everything, lobbyists, all of that, maybe even international trade. If that does happen, something will be lost as something was lost when the industry transitioned from small business to big business. However- Weed will be so cheap that it will be accessible to so many people mm-hmm. in so many different places. And, and you know, along with corporate lobbyists comes more de-stigmatization. Yes. De-stigmatizing. Yes. No, I thought word <laughs> I is that so CBD, hard. that CBD joint got me. Yes. <laughs> it's just chilling you out so hard. Yeah, exactly. De-stigmatization. <laughs> syllables are not working for me. That's like uh, a five word. De-stigmatization. Yeah. It, it Six. <laughs> Six syllable word. And she nailed it. <laughs> wow. That was hard for everyone. What a pro. <laughs> no, you're so right, though. I definitely... I see both sides of that being good and bad mm-hmm. because yeah, I, I want everyone to be able to experience right. cannabis, but I also love the, I want everyone to grow their own cannabis really. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad that you do. And I get to too. Yes. I'm so happy for both of us. I know. <laughs> I just wish every, I mean, that's why I think federal legalization would be so good because then people would be like, oh, I can just grow this at home now. It's it's okay. Right. Okay. I mean, totally. you like and I gardening. obviously don't think that like the law is like- Coming for us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> it's not coming for us. You no, know, we're just gardening, okay? <laughs> we are gardening. <laughs> Luckily. <laughs> yes, but I mean, I just feel like older generations too, like so much go- they just are like, oh, the if it says if the law says it's bad for you, you know, it has to be bad. You know, kind of mm. like the media, and it's right when there's so much misinformation between states that are still illegal and states that are legal. Yeah, it's like this fighting narrative, totally. <laughs> and so much of it is influenced by lobbyist dollars in Washington. Yep. and then the fact that that influences our view of a plant that could actually help us is really unfortunate yeah but but I'm so glad that there are people like you out here spreading the word and being so public about it it's amazing because people need to see that and they need to see how it helps people's lives and Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I I was you know I was kind of a closeted cannabis user for I mean the first few years and then even when I was in the industry I wasn't like you know I wasn't doing what you do which I think is amazing I was the industry was like also really different back openly then. Openly consuming, right? All I mean, the time, yeah. It was. It was also really different because, like, most people who came in in the early days did come from the underground cannabis totally. world, so there was like a completely different climate and culture. Yeah. And so, like, if I had come in and been like, "Oh, let me take pictures of your grow," like, just things would have gone really differently. But I'm just so glad that like you can do this now and you can show <laughs> the world, like, "Hey, this plant is doing great things for my life, and it could for you too." Yes. Um, since discovering the Tar Cutter Active Carbon Filter a couple weeks ago, I can't take a bong rip without it. It has me coughing so much less and eliminates 90% of inhaled tar without removing any THC. Use my code MCARTERGETSHIGH for 15% off at checkout. And now it's time for the stoner story of the day. This one is brought to you by an anonymous listener. They write, I spent many evenings during my junior year in college 
getting high with my boyfriend in his little apartment and watching movies while binge eating. One evening, we did our usual smoke session, popped some popcorn, and snuggled in to rent a movie. I was thoroughly enjoying our popcorn when something happened. With an aggressive chew of a few kernels, I heard a crack. At first, I thought, oops, probably chomped too hard on an unpopped kernel. But as I started to explore my mouth for the kernel, something wasn't right. I mean, I was really stoned, but my tongue seemed to be feeling a significant void where an upper left molar used to be. I started to panic. Oh my God, I am going to be a toothless mess, I thought. I quickly spit out the contents of my mouth to find, sure enough, an unpopped kernel that was likely the culprit of the debacle. But in addition to that, a piece of my tooth. (laughs) Panic continued to amplify as I called my mother for advice. I was trying very hard not to sound high on the phone, but I'm sure I failed. (laughs) Luckily, it was a back tooth and I managed to miss the nerve and was not in any pain. Given that information, my mother was able to assure me just enough that I did not do anything rash, like try to schedule emergency dental surgery at 11 p.m. on a Saturday evening. Monday rolled around, and I got in for a dental appointment and had the tooth promptly fixed. In the end, it all turned out fine, but spitting out a piece of my tooth was a fairly traumatic experience, and I could caution... And I would caution you other listeners from eagerly eating popcorn while being super stoned. (laughs) Thanks for the awesome podcast, McCarter. Can't wait to hear more episodes and learn more about the amazing cannabis plant. From Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth, so much. That is an incredibly horrifying story. Um, Luckily, uh, that has not happened to me. But it sounds like it could. It could honestly happen to anyone with any other food that's maybe slightly hard, like popcorn kernels. But uh, wow, wow, wow. I can't imagine that happening to me. I would actually freak the fuck out. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm really happy you were able to get it fixed. No problem. Please write your story in. I know you have a high story you want to write into me and you've just been sitting on it, thinking about it. Now's the time. Please, please, please email me at mccartergetshighpod at gmail.com with your high story. Thank you so, so much. I love you all. I love you. I love you. Stay high. <laughs>